Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. And so if you'd open in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 1, we're going to look at this one more time, and uh, then we're going to move on. So praise the Lord. Father, we thank you today for the opportunity to study your word. Father, we find ourselves in a place needing, Lord, your wisdom, your understanding, Father. But we also find ourselves in a place needing the willingness, Lord God, to follow after hard, follow after you hard, Father. And, and that requires a level of soul, willing, soul willingness in us, Father, that sometimes we are lacking. So we thank you for it today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Now, I can't really hear myself. You're, you're doing it. Okay. So we're, we're sure that it's going out and, and, and all of that. So Isaiah chapter 1, we've been using this for a number of weeks now. And what I really want you to get out of it is this understanding that in verse 19 it says, If you are willing and obedient, please recognize that you are obedient in many, many things occasionally without willingness. You're obedient to what God says, but your heart's not fully in it. You're not, you're, not, you're not willing. And so willingness has to be separated. People say, well, I was obedient. Well, that's like your child who throws his toys into the toy box in frustration and anger. He is obedient, but the willingness is not there. So, so willingness doesn't produce obedience. Okay? I know a lot of people think, well, if I'm just willing and obedient, just, just disconnect them for a second. Because what God actually wants us to do, in my understanding of this, what God wants us to do, is to recognize that there are times just out of Christian service that we are obedient but not willing. You know, we, we're just doing it because we have to. You know, and, and, and I'm, I'm just trying to get you to see that we're possibly living in a time where this level of willingness that I believe God's leading us to will be the difference between those who, who succeed and those who don't. God isn't looking for Christians who live in a four-year-old mentality. God isn't looking for Christians who live in a four-year-old mentality. Meaning that you pitch a fit every time that you have to do something. And he isn't trying to punish us in this willingness. And so please do your best to separate those things. And, and you remember from last week that willingness is often tested. And I, I, I used to say or try to say always, but often tested in the laboratory of authority. The only time that willingness becomes a challenge is when you struggle with the authority that you're operating under. Now, there's some things I'm just simply not willing. How many of you know a stubborn person? How many of you live inside the same skin with that stubborn person? <laughs> the, the idea behind all of this is that, that we are stubborn because we like our own way. But we're Christian, so we want God's ways. So we're willing up to a point. But then when God asks us to do something that essentially costs us, then our willingness is really challenged. Same with worldly things, and, and it has everything to do with this idea, if we're willing and obedient, we'll leave the good of the land. And last week we talked about the land being all that is under God's authority or dominion. Now remember, I haven't, I haven't you know, 
There's so many details that, goes in, that go into this that it's kind of difficult. I haven't really fleshed out the idea that the dominion that God had, he gave to man. So we have to recognize that God has given us the land. If you don't recognize that, you'll not look for the good in the devil-possessed land that you believe we live in. Or the devil-possessed world that you believe we live in. And you'll have to, you'll have to switch your ideas if you look at what's happening in the world today and all you can come up with is the devil is winning, you've missed God's point. You've simply missed it. Without respect to what you believe, God is always bigger than the evil we're faced with. He's always bigger. He's always bigger than the financial difficulties that you're faced with. He's always bigger than the family issues that you face with. He's bigger than drug addiction. He's bigger than marital problems. He's bigger than financial problems. He is always bigger. But if you don't believe that, you won't look into the land to find the good. Amen. Turn with me, if you will, please, to the book of John, chapter 1. For those of you who want me just to get on with this so that we can move on to something else, it's possible that God is testing your willingness. John chapter 1. This is the gospel writer John's recounting of the coming of Christ. And and this is the only one that's not necessarily like the other ones. John comes at it from a different point. Now keep in mind, just, just chronologically, that most of, these, most of these were written 30 or more years after it happened. Okay? When Jesus came, no one said, oh boy, let's write a book. Here's the Messiah coming as a baby. Nope, they waited for 30 years or more after his death and resurrection and ascension. They waited for 30 years to share what God had put in their heart. What happened during that 30 years? What were they dealing with during the 30 years? It's possible that in the negativity, I mean, do you understand that, that, that the church wasn't formed in a great uh, uh, opportunistic time? Christians were persecuted and killed. I, always, I get kind of uh, chuckly on the inside when I hear people talk about the political climate that we're in today. I'm telling you what, ain't nobody coming to kill you. Now it may come to that. But Christianity has survived in the midst of political turmoil. And not only survived, but thrived. But in some cases, it took 30 years to write about it. Why? Because to evaluate what you've gone through... You have to use your willingness to see it as something other than negative. See, if you're, if you're captured by the immediacy of today, you say, this is ter- Tracy and I are having a conversation, and she says, it's just worse today. You understand that our parents, my wife and I, were in a generation with some of you, and, and our parents raised us in the free love and drug uh, activity of the 60s. I mean, it was crazy. And yet, 
lo and behold, after 40 years or 50 years or how many ever years it's been, we survived that. And in fact, I could say that we thrived through that. Now we have things happening right in front of our eyes and we're so captivated by the insignificant proportion of people who are living out their evil in our faces that we can't find the good in the land. That's an issue of willingness. That's not an issue of obedience. Every generation of Christians had their own little thing that they went through. I mean, dear Lord, it's been crazy And if we went back 30 or 40 or 50 years, the guy standing up here with gray hair would say, it's been crazy. Just think back to when you were born, your parents and your grandparents went through two world wars and two major conflicts that killed hundreds of thousands of Americans. My mother used to save tinfoil underneath the kitchen sink. And I said, so, you you know, when when my dad passed away, we're looking under there and there's this ball of tinfoil big as a basketball. I'm thinking... Well, who does that? Well, during the time of the Second World War, they rationed tin because of its necessity in the war effort. They rationed sugar. I mean, my mom, if sugar got spilled on the table, my mom would cup it with her hand like this and scoop it back into the bowl. And I'm thinking, that's where all the flies are landing. You just scooped all the, all the fly poop in there with the, with the sugar. And her thought process probably was, well, it'll dissolve just like the sugar does. My point is that every generation of Christianity has lived through a time very similar to what we're going through. And so it's so so important for us to be willing to see the good of the land. It'll wreck you. It'll just wreck you if everything in your consciousness is negative. It's going to be bad, and now when it gets bad, it'll be worse than that. Now, I I am an optimistic person. Uh, I always talk in terms of not how close we are to empty, but how much we have left. I'm not a questioner of God that says, how long is this going to take? How many do that? You're in the middle of something and and you say, how long is this going to take? And you have that internal question. If you turn that question around and you said this, Lord... How far can I go with you in the middle of this? How far can I go? See, you're living in an economic time where you should be asking that question. How far can I go? What does that mean? That means you can trust God to pay for your groceries. It means you can trust God to give you, you know, um, um, Proverbs. I don't know, 12 or 18 in verse 12, maybe. No, I don't. Here's what it says. I, I, you're just going to have to go look for it. It says, I wisdom dwell with prudence. King James. I wisdom dwell with prudence. It's, it's uh, Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 12. I wisdom dwell with prudence in the knowledge of witty inventions. One of the things that God is doing for us soulishly, okay, is he's creating in us the ability to see the invention that he's doing for the good of the land. I'm at an age where I've been struggling a little bit with what God wants me to share. Because some of the stuff that I have inside of my soul that I believe is from God is just a touch out there. And what God's been dealing with me is, he says, I'll show you what I'm inventing for your benefit. 
And I went, what? See, it's not that something's going to show up like this magic, you know, you're going to invent the newest, greatest, best widget. But he'll invent inside of you a soulish creativity for you to see what you're going through in a different light. That's an invention. That's a creation. That's a creation, the creative integrity of God. And many of us just look out through our eyes and see what's happening in the world and we create a negative scenario. And what God wants us to do, I believe what God wants us to do is to begin to go back to his character and trust what he's doing. Can you imagine being a a, a spectator to the creation of the earth? I mean, you're just kind of sitting in the bleachers, you know, watching, getting ready to clap or whatever, because your guy is on offense. You know, God's on offense. And all of a sudden you see the spirit of God and he's moving and hovering around. And then God says something. All of God's creation came from a word that contained the DNA necessary to create what he intended. So God never gives you a word without the power inside the word to create what he said. He never depends on us. Chugga, chugga, chugga. He gives you a personal word and inside of it is the dynamic power of a creative God to do what he said he would do. In Jeremiah chapter 1 verse number 12, God shows Jeremiah a vision. And it's of an almond branch that's budding. And he says to Jeremiah in verse number 11 or 12, he says, Jeremiah, what do you see? He said, I see an almond branch budding or something along that lines. And, and God said, listen, verse number 12. He says, and God said, did you find it? There he is. Then the Lord said to me, look what he said. You have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. Now I want to tell you, after Jeremiah said this to God, he was no more informed about what God wanted to do. Unless you're really smart and can connect all the dots, I'm not exactly sure what it was God was trying to show him. But he saw it, repeated it to God, and God said, you've seen well, I'm ready to perform my word. Wait, what are you going to do? It doesn't make any difference. You saw it in a reflection of spiritual and or heavenly function inside of the word, inside of the thing you saw is the power, the DNA, the function to create what God says to you. Now, if all you say is what you want, God didn't say that to you. You know, some people will will abuse the, the, the scripture, you know, God will give you the desires of your heart. Well, That doesn't mean that he'll give you the desire that lives there. It means he'll give you to live there the desires. He'll give you his desires. You can cooperate with that. Because inside of his desire for you is the power to create what he said. But he he needs you to cooperate with that. And so you've got to see the good of the land thing so you can cooperate with what God has shown you. Does that make sense? I mean, I realize that, that maybe you've never heard anything like this before and you're saying, well, I just don't get that, Pastor. Can't you just go back to simple stuff? No, it'll hurt you. 
It'll hurt you to depend on the simplicity that has not been developed in the soul of man. 3 John 2 says, I, I desire that you prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. If you don't work on the soul condition, the health and prosperity that you get will be unrecognizable according to the word that God spoke over you. Does that make sense? You say, well, but I always get bad things. That's because you didn't recognize the good of the land that God spoke over you. God did not bring you this far to bring you this far. Do you understand the difference between goal or... Is everybody okay with me just spilling some? I, I got some stuff in me. I just got to spill it out for a second. We may get to the rest of this. Does everybody understand the difference between goal-oriented living and growth-oriented living? Goal-oriented living places goalposts, a finish line. How many of you recognize based on biblical understanding that your finish line will always be shorter than what God intends for you to have? But here's the dangerous thing. I'm not, I'm not against setting goals. Set goals that God has to be involved with. Does that make sense? When you set goals and they're too attainable, you will not trust God to get there. Now here's the danger of this. When you have a finish line or a goal, a goal line, when you get finished or when you make the touchdown, you're tempted to celebrate, but you're actually celebrating the power of human strength because you're the one that set the goal. When you cross the finish line, you're finished. There's nothing left. You've finished. But if you're growth oriented, when you feel like you've learned something that you've never known before, you then ask the question, how far can I go in learning this or in getting to this? But you're always interested in learning and taking the growth that allows you to set aspirational. I wish I could come up with a better word. You set goals that require God to be successful. How many of you recognize that there are some things that you're just really good at in yourself, right? Now, I have a math brain. Stuff just makes sense to me. Structure and order makes sense to me. You do not want to play games with me. I, rem <laughs> I remember cards. I count them. I know what's left. If we're playing like a card game and so forth, I can, you know, two or three rounds, I'll tell you what's in your hand. Because I have that brain. But how many of you know, I don't depend on God for that brain. That's me. I can do that. So when you have aspirational goals or growth-centered goals, the only thing you can do is depend on God. If you say, make me more like you, God, you can't do that. God has to get involved. That's just a simple growth-oriented thought process. But there should be no finish line in your thought process. And you can pick any subject you want. There should be no finish line in your thought process. There is no amount of money 
That represents finish. You say, well, well, how much is enough? I can tell you when it's too much is when you trust it over God. When you serve it money over God, that's too much. See, you gotta, but see, you watch that all along, right? You're watching your greed level. You're Americans. You have a greed level. of the world, 30% of the world lives on about $3 a day. You're in the top 1% of income earnings in the world simply because you were born in America. We have a greed issue. Amen. How did we get there? John chapter 1. Look at this. In the beginning was the word... The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. God set in order and function from the moment of creation what His intent was. In Him, verse 4, was life. In Jesus Christ there is life. And the life was the light of men. Notice that God doesn't use the absence of darkness to tell you which way to go. He uses the entrance of light to lead you. Not negative, but positive. Do you see it? And then notice what he says, verse 5, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, or does not comprehend it. At the very beginning of time, the enemy sought to comprehend the light. If you read Ezekiel chapter 14 and Isaiah chapter 12 or whichever it was where it talks about where Satan falls, you know, that all happened before. That happened before the man came here. From the very beginning, God was light. Jesus was light. Light was shining. And when God said, let there be light... The devil could not comprehend that. There are three distinct definitions of this word. It means overcome. The devil could not overcome the light. So darkness is never designed to overcome the light. Present circumstances included. Darkness is never designed to overcome light. It's impossible for that to happen. If you don't see the good of the land, the light that God is shining in the land, you'll make it negative and you think we'll all go to hell in a handbasket because darkness is winning. Notice what else it says. It says it could not comprehend, which means it could not perceive it. The enemy never understands crazy Christians. See, he believes the word and trembles. The Bible says that. It's not what you believe that's important. It's what of that word that lives out through you. That's important. Do not let the character of God go by your belief system. We do not win as Christians in all manners, whatever it takes. That's, that's, a, that's a crazy worldly... It's like the football coach you had or the athletic coach that you might have had or somebody else's. Give it 110%. First of all, I only have 100 to give. Second of all, I'm not giving all of it to you. Because if I give 100% of myself, no greater has love than has any man than he lay down his life for his brother. 100% is you dying. The only one you should lay your life down for is Jesus Christ. 
See, darkness wins when somebody tries to elevate the plan of man above the plan of God. You cannot possibly give 100% to anything other than God. And when you do, God will spend your life however he chooses. It also means that the, that the darkness could not extinguish the life. It could not put the light out. Now let me help you for just a second. What's happening in our world today obviously needs to be stood up against. But please do it from the recognition of the good that God has placed in the earth. Okay? It's not going to extinguish the light. The light in your four-year-old when they got saved is the same light that's in them when they're using drugs. And when they come off of that situation and out of that and are delivered by the miraculous power of God, what you're going to see is that light could not be extinguished. See, we get so worked up. What are you going to do if, this, if, the, if the woke movement wins? News alert. They lost from the beginning. This is a good opportunity for us. Well, but I just don't like it. Well, then adjust your willingness. Do you understand that the opposite of willingness is rebellion? Congratulations. <laughs> People say, well, I'm not rebellious. Do you understand that right now out in the foyer and this, this week, you're going to get the opportunity, should you choose to, to sign a petition endorsing every life being valuable from the moment of conception. Do you know that we are upset about aborting babies? And please don't throw anything at me. But Christians have been aborting the growth of the word of God in their life by their opinion since the dawn of Jesus Christ. That's true. See, let me help you. <laughs> you have to stop aborting the truth. It's actually working a work in you that is good. You say, well, I sure hope he, he gets it done here pretty quick because it's terrible going through it. No, it's good going through it because he's creating something. Look for the creative integrity of what God's taken you through. Amen. See, the reason I told you about watching creation and the word, when you have a word in your life, it's creating based on the fact that God set it over you. So whatever, pick your circumstance. Just take a moment here and say, oh, God, I wish I had this or I wish this was happening. You know, with most parents, it has something to do with their kids or, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and so my personal circumstance, I said, oh, God, just, just let me have that. He said, I spoke that word over you. And I went, what? When God speaks a word over you, his, his rhema, his, his direct revelation to you through his word has within it the power, the DNA of God to create or literally invent the happening. But we abort the word of God. We actually stop agreeing with it because it takes too long. We've had premature babies in our family. The twins each weighed four pounds, give or take, wow. when they were born. They were the sickest babies in children's hospital ICU. We had the most machines. One of my grandsons had 18 pick lines. He had more little, little teeny fibrous lines that, that fed him 
and a tube into it. Both of them had tubes in their stomach and they would, they would take a syringe and measure how much they put in there for nourishment for these kids. And then every time they went to the bathroom, they'd, measure, they'd weigh the diaper. This went on for 26 or 28 days, something like that. Guess what? From the beginning, God authored that life. You say, well, did he put you through all of that? And you know what? Cause and effect's not really important to me here. But the end result really is. The end result was God spoke over us and said, you're going to take those babies home. After it was all over and done with, the doctors, and, and by the way, just, just so you understand how this worked, the doctor who invented the surgery that helps twin to twin transfusion syndrome babies stay in the womb longer was from the Cleveland Clinic, and he moved to Denver during the pregnancy of, of Amber's pregnancy of our twins, and we were the first identical tw- twins. You can only have twin to twin transfusion from identical twins, okay? They have to share some stuff. And so one of them gets lazy and pushes all his stuff over to the other one. Okay, and so the other one does all the peeing and all the, the stuff, you know, for them. And the other one just lays back and go, man, this life is great. The problem is the one who's overworking actually overworks their little heart until their heart muscle gets thick. And when it doesn't have the help of mama, that thick heart muscle says, no, thank you very much. I'm out. And they die. And our doctors did not expect either one of our twins to, to live. When you have a word of the Lord... Now, you cannot make it up. It's not about your desires, right? But when you have a word that comes from God that speaks over you, it contains the power in the DNA and the darkness cannot extinguish it. You, on the other hand, can snuff it out. You, on the other hand, can snuff it out. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? Because God made Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, mute. Because he had been praying for a child and he didn't believe it was going to happen. And God said to him, you and your wife, she was barren, uh, Elizabeth was barren, going to have a child. You're going to name him John. And, and uh, Zacharias scoffed at the idea and God said, you won't speak a word until he's born. And then when he was born, he wrote on something or gave them the understanding they would call him John which was outside of tradition for 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 priestly families to not name within their family and and God gave them the result of his word by creating and stopping the dad from speaking to the extinguishing of the fire of the word of God You can extinguish it. You say, well, yeah, but pastor, you don't understand. Listen, I may not understand, but I'll just tell you that the Bible is full of people who didn't understand. When the angel of of God came to Mary and said, "Uh, you're going to have a child. And she said, how how can this be since I'm a virgin? And and the angel said, well, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. You think that solved her dilemma? She said, like a 13-year-old kid who has to go home and, and, and tell her parents that she's pregnant by God? Who would have bought that? God had to speak to, to Mary in such a way that instead of extinguishing the fire, she pondered what was burning inside of her. It's a whole different thing.
So you cannot comprehend it. Okay, so are we okay with just moving into this? I'm, I'm trying to gauge where you all are and, you, and, and make sure that you're, you're prepared to process what it takes to be willing. Are you all ready? It only took six weeks to get here. Don't worry. If Jesus comes back, you won't need this. But if he doesn't, you're going to need it. Romans chapter 8, verse number 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation. Romans chapter 8, verse number 1. Did you see it? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The Bible gives us a way forward that does not include the condemning thoughts that are outside the presence of Jesus Christ in your life. The devil cannot stop you unless he can get you to agree with him concerning your condemnation. Do you understand that nothing about Christianity actually depends on us? Jesus did it all. But the minute we get saved, we set out to work our way into the great goodness of God. Because obviously, if you do what he asks you to do, and you do what his word says, and you do that, he will like you better. But in reality, I believe what God is working on is a willingness. Because he, in this passage right here, he, he, he takes us down and, and shows us what it means to not have his light. Notice what it says here. It says, to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now notice what he says. He says, for the law, verse 2, for the law of spirit, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free. The first good willingness that we have to have is the understanding that without respect to what happens in our world, God has set in order a freedom from law following a freedom, a liberty. It has made me free. You don't come to church because God is keeping track. God isn't keeping track. You can talk to God on Monday in your bathtub or however you choose to. He's not keeping track. He offers you a church experience to come together with like-minded people to be supportive of each other so that you can walk through the time you have when you're not together. If you lived in the first century and you risk your life, if you lived in China today and you risk your life being a Christian, the moment you walk out the doors of your house or sometimes inside your house, you could be killed for what you believe. You need something to sustain you in the world you live in that's full of darkness while you say to yourself, this is good, I live in light. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's so important. He says it made me free from the law of sin and death or from the structured environment of sin and death. Notice verse number three. For what the law could not do. Now, if you're a Bible underline, you ought to underline this. The law cannot do these things because it's wholly dependent upon your flesh. The law is dependent on your flesh. See, that's when Jesus talked to, to the disciples and to the religious people and he said, you've heard it said that thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife or have, have a covet. He says, I tell you, if you look at her, you've already lusted with her. 
He made it harder. Because our flesh cannot do those things without an empowerment of God's word in our life. You cannot live free of greed without the empowerment of God's word over you. You cannot live free of lust without God's empowerment. You can't, let me just get real personal with you. You cannot lose weight without the empowerment of God's word over you, giving you a biblical understanding of your body. You say, well, I'll just exercise harder. Well, good luck with that. But heading towards the possibility of at least my fourth knee surgery, I can tell you that when your body doesn't cooperate with your eye, with your, with your ideas, you occasionally gain weight. Because most of us give ourselves the human permission to eat the calories we exercise off. When I, when I was in college playing basketball, they tried to put weight on me. I thought, what a novel thing. I don't like being skinny. Today, I look at that time in my life going, oh, if only. They were feeding me eight to 10,000 calories a day. I went from 185 pounds to 225 pounds on purpose. And I haven't seen 225 in a while. I don't even have clothes in my closet hoping that they will grow so that I can wear them today for 125. See, it's weak through the flesh. No amount of fleshly activity is going to get this done. You have to see the good of the land and cooperate with what God's saying. Notice it says in the, in the uh, um, whatever the next verse is, four. He says, uh, verse number three says, he condemns sin sin in the flesh. Then it says that the righteous requirement of the law. See, when Jesus came as the word incarnate, when Jesus became flesh and lived for us through all of this, he was a substitute for the righteous requirements for us. His flesh took the requirements and fulfilled them. Now, if you don't live in that understanding, then what you will do is try and work your way into righteous living. Mm-hmm. Here's the way that works, parenting. We become authoritative parents and we tell them what they can and can't do. And if they stray too far into what they might be able to do that you don't want them to, parents are on the edge of, of you know, like anaphylactic shock. Because what if? If it's good, it will not create fear. Your children are wired to produce good in the earth. It's the creative integrity of God. I didn't say he would force them to. But you have to give them the leeway, understanding that the righteous requirement of the law was fulfilled by Jesus Christ for them. They do not have to live perfectly. Now, I know, man, when I, when I hear those words come out of my mouth, I think, dear God, what did I just do? I opened up a can of worms. It's so, I have grandchildren. I have grandchildren that go to school in big cities where you haven't seen crazy yet. And the grandchildren I'm talking about go to public school. And I have no ability to go fix the problems that I see in their school system. My only avenue 
is the prayer that functions from the good of the land that God called us to live in. Now, should, should they not change some? Yeah, probably, probably should. Probably should figure out how to do that. But I am not going to trust the world to get their act together. I'm going to trust God whose act is already together. Thank you. Notice it says then in, the, in whatever verse we're in, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He's getting ready to explain to us about the willingness that we have to do one or the other of these two things. Notice it says in the fifth verse, for those who live according to the flesh. Okay, now get ready because this, this, under these circumstances, this is painful. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Now let me point something out to you. This is not me condemning you. Go back to verse number one. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God offered for us to live in a no condemnation situation. But he said, if you set your mind on the things of the flesh. Now listen to me. You're the one that chooses where your flesh mind is going to focus. You choose that. How many of you ever stayed up late at night worrying about what might happen? And you mumbled it in your mind over and over and over again. And, and just listen, if you'll change the subject of that murmur, it'll help you. If you take it away from the negative things that are possible and put it on to the things that God intends to have, if you will set your mind on spiritual things, and you say, well, how do I do that? It's so bad. No, what's bad is the story that you're making up that makes it worse. That makes it worse. That's really bad because what happens is the confession of your mouth doesn't cause that to happen. Okay, if you confess, I, I know that some of you grew up in the confession message. Always oh, got to say everything just right, because if you don't, all the bad things you say are going to happen to you. But I never understood why if I said a whole bunch of good things, good things didn't happen to me. So I never understood the, the, the breakdown of this because I was I'm a positive. I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm an optimist. So I'm always saying good things. I mean, you know. I, 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 uh, I got hurt several times in, in, in college basketball and on the way down where the landing is what hurt me, I'm saying inside myself, this isn't going to hurt too bad. It hurt like heck. I mean, it's terrible. And I'd go do it again <laughs> because my heart was set on something. I'm regretting it a little bit now. As I try and get my knees to bend and my ankle to work and my back not to hurt. And you say, well, you should believe God for healing. You're right. Let that be your prayer assignment for me, would you? Amen. Just, just charge in there. Please, let it be. Just pray for me. Every, every time you run out of something to do, pray for me. Okay? That'll help. Just, just don't, don't fill your time with anything else. You understand that I'm saying that facetiously. But if you actually filled your time with the things of God, you wouldn't have time to make up the stories that cause you to have discouragement and depression. That's a good truth. You set your mind on the things of the flesh. But those, middle of verse 5, but those who live according to the Spirit, implied here, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Amen? 
Are you waving at me? Yeah. My clock says 9.43. I got two minutes. You were trying to rob from me. I see, because we're all frozen up. That's awesome. Yeah, if, the, if it says that forever, I'll never have to stop. Because I have some stuff rolling around in me that'll help you. And I'm trying, I'm trying to stay to the scriptures, but, but I just want you to understand, if you don't set your mind on the things of God, it's your responsibility. Don't look at me. Well, you got to preach better, Pastor. Listen, you get to hear me speak. If you come to both services, you get to hear me speak for about 45 minutes each. You know, you get an hour and a half out of me. 168 hours in a week. And I get 0.7 of that. You are responsible for what you think about. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. And don't tell me you can't because you've set your mind on all kinds of stupid stuff. We'll talk about carnal minds next week. It'll really help you. It'll be so good for you. I mean, everybody needs to have an intimate understanding of a carnal life. So you can choose not to walk there. Amen. Father, thank you for this day. We bless you, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live. And you can watch Sermon Slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.